because even if he's not getting receptions, he's pulling defenders off. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at the quarter pole of the season, basically where we think we are, where some of the overreactions are, anything that we use from around the league this week. We're going to look at a couple of games from last week, some questions from you, the listener, and then on to our picks for next week. So hey guys, we've got Connor, we've got Harry. Hey, how you doing? And we've got Ronan. And we're back in where we recorded uh, way back at the very beginning. We're in Harry's house, and so you might hear a slightly more echoey. He has higher ceilings than us in his posh little spot in the middle of town. How's the cells, lads? Any crack? Yeah, uh, grand. I'm not being shamed for having a nice apartment. Uh, this is this is this is anti-privilege. Your anti-privilege privilege is showing, Connor. That's it. Yeah, my anti-privilege privilege. Uh, what about yourself, Fitz? Any crack? Yeah, I think Connor's just jealous of your broken floorboards, I think. <laughs> yeah, his, your, your house is in way better nick than mine, like. Yeah, it's true, but we don't have a, we don't have an echoey, echoey room. <laughs> That's fair. We are recording in a cathedral of sins. <laughs> That's also fair. <laughs> Nothing oh. but uh, drinking, smoking and fighting in this apartment, you know? That's it. You, know, you guys get up to anything this week? No, work's been fucking crazy, actually. I barely... As people may notice during the week, I barely had any time to prepare for this. And I know I normally am not the best prepared, but I was coming to this. And Fizzle was like, oh, what games are you picking? And I was like, there were games. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about yourself, Fitz? Yeah, Grant. Not, not too much different right now. A couple of projects that I'm picking up, but otherwise quite enough. Yeah, no, similar enough. I had the... Uh, my, my, my paper came out today, so I've had... Uh, Coverage on all, all of the all of the media outlets in Ireland, and I've been informed to not take phone calls uh, if I don't know who it is or if they say they're a reporter. So that'll be fun. Yeah, so we've got a good bit to get through this week. Uh, I suppose we're going to start off with a big item, uh, which is our first quarter overreactions. We've now four games in. It's time to have a look at where we stand and what are what are the big takeaways we think so far. Probably overreactions, and then like a wild gesticulating uh, prediction for what's happening uh, from this point onwards. So uh, I suppose we've got one each. Uh, I'll kick off with you, Ronan. What's yours? Before I start, one major reveal. I do think this team sucks. I say the LA Rams are a terrible team, but have found the perfect formula to win, which is to make other teams suck just as much as them. <laughs> so their defense has been absolutely suffocating, with Aaron Donald turning into the de facto MVP candidate for the year after being moved along the defensive line, similar to how J.J. Watt had been used. Now, somehow they got locked out by the San Francisco 49ers. We'll just excuse that by saying the Rams happened. They were just preparing extra hard to beat the Seahawks. Based on what they've actually done against non-Seahawks teams, there's an actual chance that the LA Rams are not just engaging in 7-9 bullshit, that they are actually engaging in 10-6, 11-5, and 12-4 bullshit that, in my opinion, makes them an actual contender in the NFC. Like, when you look at the NFC right now, the traditional like heavyweights, such as the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota, and Seattle are doing well. But a couple of the early favorites that we had, such as Carolina and, and Arizona, are falling away. That means that this is the year that Jeff Fisher gets his one good season before he falls into obscurity again. And in that case, that the LA Rams will suck, but make everyone else suck enough, using their defense and using the fact that Todd Gurley is apparently the only person on the offense for the LA Rams, according to opposing defenses, to actually grind out enough wins to be relevant this year. And this isn't just based on analysis and stuff like this. I believe this is based on divine providence. This year has been pretty bad, right? 
uh, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of people talking, this is one of the worst years ever, lots of celebrities died, Donald Trump is happening, Brexit happened, etc. And, you know, there's this whole thing in the book of Revelations about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, I, I, I'm not going to talk about them, but what's sort of interesting to me is that each of them was behind the seals, it was behind that comedy used for eight, the seventh seal. But and and, the, and the 80s pop singer. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about the fifth seal. I'm quoting directly here from the Bible. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, and this is important, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now, it may be a coincidence, but the Rams' home jersey this year is white. It may also be a coincidence that the LA Rams have been very successful in killing lots of players on the other side, both this year and in previous years. So my argument is, is that the LA Rams, in this year, year of our Lord of 2016, with all the terrible things, are the next level of the apocalypse, and therefore it is only right divine providence will come true and that they will finally bathe in the blood of their enemies. Therefore, my prediction is that they will make the playoffs with a very successful record. I'm not going to say they're going to win the NFC West because it's Seahawks rule. Woo. That they, and that they will win at least one playoff game. That is my first quarter overreaction. Okay, interesting. Especially given the almost Highlander-esque nature of the killing their enemies and taking their power from them. Yeah, you've, you've clearly been thinking about this for a while, Ronan. I'm not going to lie. Um, also, I think if this podcast doesn't work out, I think you can take over from fucking Jerry Falwell after that. (laughs) My one is not quite as well thought out or biblical. (laughs) My one is that we now see that defences are becoming more important than quarterbacks in the league, and we're going to see a shift towards that for the next while. What we've seen this year is a large number of teams have had problems at the quarterback position, prime examples being... Uh, the Vikings being the Eagles having to bring in a starter, being the Bronco or being uh, the Vikings losing their starter and having to having to bring in Sam Bradford the last minute, and seeing the success that those teams are having on the back of their defenses, even to a lesser extent, teams like the Chiefs where Alex Smith hasn't played particularly well, but six picks from a defense will ensure that you can keep yourself in a game even when your offense isn't firing. So what we're seeing now is. A refocus on the defense, which we had a pushback against because of the softening of uh, or the the more strict rules about how you can and cannot approach receiving players and helpless players and so on. And people have found a way to work around that and build new schemes. And it normally takes a few years. So now we're seeing the end point of that reaction. And we're also seeing overall more athletic players. And with that, you also get the availability of these players on the market as there are more and more of them out there. And they can slot into systems that are now built around systematically taking away offences rather than just being, I have the best player. It's no longer a Darrell Revis that is necessarily going to be the best cornerback. It's going to be the guy who can work in a system that allows him to get under roots with coverage behind them and stuff like that. So we're going to see a refocus towards that. But at the same time, we're going to have a fan reaction in the other direction as games become lower scoring and less exciting as visual. uh, Like I love a defensive game, but I know a lot of people don't. So I think that's what we're seeing now. Quarterbacks being brought in earlier, defense is becoming more important, and we're going to see more and more of that happening with more defensive players being selected higher in drafts and more often in drafts. And my prediction that's coming after the first quarter is that we are going to have a Broncos-Vikings Super Bowl 
because both these teams are purely defensive teams. Now, Broncos will get replaced with the Patriots if Tom Brady goes down and they have to use a backup quarterback, especially if they have to use Edelman. That would be amazing. <laughs> what I'm also going to say is that in this, in this Super Bowl of defences, there will be less than 20 points scored in total, of which my current prediction is it will be 18 points scored in total and every single one of them will be safeties. <laughs> It's got a disturbing air of plausibility, doesn't it? Like, Just a touch. We're, we, we kind of do seem to be coming into a, a different era of football, which is always interesting to see when you're sort of seeing that shift. Although they are, as you say, happening quite quite rapidly in the modern game. I, uh, so, Harry, what's, what, what's your one? So, mine is uh, probably even less well thought out than your own. Uh, mine is after watching the, the game in London this week, I think the international series in Wembley has served its purpose. I think it's run its course at this stage. I know they're locked in for another little while. Two years, I think. Two more years. But I think at this point, it's it served its purpose. They've proved they can sell out the stadium regardless of who is playing. They've, they can sell 80, 80 to 85,000 tickets, pretty much whoever is there. They've established that as a thing. And for them now, it's going to be the next step. The international series, we're going to see... Moves to different places. We're going to see games, I think, in Mexico. I think we're going to look at them looking at places like Germany, possibly Brazil, maybe looking back at Canada in the format they have now. But for the UK, I think they've actually done what they wanted to do. They've established that there is a fan base there, that there are fans who will go and watch a football game regardless of who is playing because there are people who are willing to pay tickets, pay for tickets, willing to take the time and effort to go, people from the rest of Europe willing to travel to that game, and people from the States also willing to come over to watch that game. So they're in a position now where they've been hemming and hawing and stalling on this, and I think this right now is the time to change it up. So I think what we're going to see, aside from them moving it on to other countries and try the same experiment there, is they're going to look to create something more permanent in, in, in London. And what I think is going to happen, this is my bold prediction, is that they're not going to move a team because the teams still don't want to move. The teams still don't want to play there and they, the current teams don't want to necessarily leave their fan base and perhaps put themselves at what they perceive to be a disadvantage in terms of time zones, in terms of travel, in terms of all of the organisational problems that will come around it. So what we're going to see, and my bold statement is, that when this is up in three years, we're going to see a 33rd team, an expansion franchise, based in London at least for the time being, with the potential to actually play home games elsewhere in Europe if their experiments in the international series work out. We'll see an entire restructuring of the NFL to accommodate this in the same way that it was when they were before the previous expansions in terms of divisions, in terms of playoffs. It's going to have huge ramifications in terms of alignment. But I think this is the logical next step for the NFL, and I think they have embedded themselves now to the stage where this is now a feasible reality that we are going to see very, very soon. And San Diego are going to cry when they have to fly over to play them. Yeah, Jesus, the poor fuckers. Like, <laughs> but yeah, no, that'll be interesting. Like, it is, it is something they've been building towards. And like you say, they have sold out all these games. They, they can see the appetites there. And like, the thing to bear in mind as well is that it's not that they have to fill the stadium 16 times a year. It's eight times a year. Yeah. It's not a huge jump from where they are. Given that they're currently putting twice as many people into Wembley than they are into a lot of stadiums in the, in, in the States, it's not... Bizarre to think they could take six or sorry three batches of ninety thousand and turn that into eight batches of forty five fifty thousand. Exactly, and they'll probably use a smaller stadium. They'll they want obviously we've saw them looking at the Olympic Stadium beforehand, and now they've got that deal with uh, with Tottenham Hotspur. So they don't even need to. It can even be fifty sixty thousand. Yeah, eight times a year, and that's so doable. 
Yeah, and it'll be it'll be very good as well because it also means that a wider variety of teams will be coming over because you're going to have eight separate teams, or where realistically you're going to have well, actually, yeah, eight separate teams. So you'll be able to see more often your team coming over and be able to visit them. And also, it's a far easier job then to say, I'm going to pick two or three games this year and head over, rather than there are three games and I have to pick between them. I think if they were spread out more evenly, we might have a, like, we'd have more of a chance of popping over from Dublin and stuff like that as well, which would be quite useful. Um, but yeah, I think that's quite, 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 quite a potential, to be honest. So uh, a couple of bits of news from around the league this week. Uh, Lady Gaga has confirmed that she's going to be the halftime show for the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm quite happy about this. I think it'll be good. I like Lady Gaga. I think her music is good and it'll be good crack for a couple of beers during halftime. Uh, between what will be the most boring and low scoring uh, Super Bowl we've seen in years. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lady Gaga, guys? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, fantastic performer. Uh, it's like not uh, it's not Coldplay, which is great. Yeah, Jesus uh, featuring Bruno Mars. Uh, no, so yeah, no, I think that'll be really, really fun, really fun show. It'll be a fantastic, it'll be a fantastic show. So I'm actually uh, kind of looking forward to that. Mm. Yeah, I like it. I think it'll be very good. And all the real football fans who don't like Lady Gaga will have to abuse their poker face to show how much they actually really enjoy it. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, yeah. yeah. You had that one prepped from days yeah, ago, that, didn't you? Been sitting on that. <laughs> who who do we reckon? Because they always do two acts. Who do we reckon is going to be the jump on for a surprise cameo? Seal. <laughs> Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you fucking love Pitbull. Cleveland have had another setback to their already dismal season. Uh, Josh Gordon has decided to check himself into rehab voluntarily to try and make sure he's on top of his stuff, which obviously you think is a very positive step. Obviously, it's annoying for Cleveland fans that he's not going to be back in. He looked exceptional. He was still playing at a monstrous level during the preseason. So, obviously, I would have said this is a very positive step. The Browns came out with a statement saying they were going to distance themselves from him, that the experiment was essentially over. However, there's now been a wrinkle in this. Because he voluntarily checked himself into rehab to try and get help, this is apparently in violation of his reinstatement to the league, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous, Uh, which now means he's back on indefinite suspension. The Browns not have to cut him because he will not count against their roster so they can hold on to him and still have his rights afterwards. Now, whether they're going to do this or not, I don't know, but it would make zero sense for them if it's not going to cost them anything and it's not going to cost them any space in their roster to do it. But, like, this is just just moronic policy from the NFL, isn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean... I know they're all about like strict control and these things. There's a very clearly laid out guide for the substance abuse program, and we can obviously argue that Gordon's indefinite suspension in the first place is a result of uh, a result of over strict enforcement of that policy. Obviously, he he uh, the indefinite suspension was for uh, a couple of beers he had on a, on a plane after Cleveland had already finished their season, but the season hasn't finished because it wasn't mm-hmm. after the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's a bit baffling to see the guy turn around and be like, no, I'm going to check myself into rehab and get it sorted out. And the NFL be like, oh, not an NFL-sanctioned policy, not an NFL-sanctioned action. You're back on the list. In terms of where Cleveland go with it, they said they want to cut ties to them. I think it's going to be difficult for them to row back on that afterwards. I think they're, they're, they're content to move on. I think they've seen they've got talent at wide receiver now. So I could see them kind of wait and see how this plays out. Gordon, say, gets reinstated starting next season, and then they'll try to just shop him for a low pick. Because he still has enough talent, I think, to be tradable. But I think the organization has decided that it's not worth it anymore. And that's where Bill Belichick's going to step in. (laughs) Seventh rounder for Josh Gordon. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. But we've covered how terrible the drug policy is with the NFL already. So, yeah, it's just unfortunate. But hopefully he gets better. Hopefully he gets to play football again. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Seattle side CJ Spiller, he had three rushes for like six yards. 
non-story. <laughs> Got a touchdown though, are, so... Are, 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 are you happy with this signing, Fitz? Uh, CJ Prosides, who was the rookie that they drafted, was supposed to be their third down back. CJ Spiller scored touchdowns on, on his debut, so yeah, happy enough. See how it goes. NFL Players Association have said they're not going to appeal to Flakegate. It's finally dead, so let's not talk about it anymore. Woo! Woo! Uh, and, yeah, there was one thing that was very interesting. They're not going to cover it in the games. There was a case of a mystery uh, fumble. Harry, do you want to explain this one? Yeah, so it was in the, uh, the Cleveland-Washington game. Duke Johnson got tackled, fumbled the ball, it bounced off the ground, and he immediately caught it again. Uh, meanwhile, a pile formed about two yards down the field where the ball was not. Johnson was standing there with the ball like raised above his head as the referees disentangled the pile. And initially, um, it was I think it was actually the the, uh, the first female ref uh, who was a side judge or a line judge in that game uh, who initially signaled that Washington had the ball, presumably because the bottom of the pile at that point was just Washington players and they assumed the ball was yes. in there. Who, who for some so, reason were fighting with each other over a non-existent football. Yeah, it was pretty weird. That's that's the Mazungus for you. Fierce Trixie, the Mazungus. Oh, they are. But yeah, it was a very strange situation. But at that point, it was like, okay, look, these mistakes are made. This is a mistake that has been made. But this is why we have an instant replay system. So these things can be reviewed. All turnovers that should be reviewed. They had a look at the instant replay. I don't know what they were looking at, but said, well, clearly there's nothing here that determines that the call might have been wrong or shows definitively that the call was wrong. They didn't go to an in-depth replay. A- a apart from one. the lack of a football. Yeah, and the guy standing there with the football <laughs> in his hand two yards down the field. But, you know, like, I mean, it's easy to miss these things. He's a human being they there's lots of human beings in the pile that it was really weird so they didn't do a, like a proper stop the game review they had a quick look in the booth and were like yeah it's fine uh cleveland didn't make a fuss about it which was a little strange but i see hugh jackson afterwards was like well there's no point so it's like yeah okay fair enough but it really have to call into question when you have all of these replay systems and you have what is a clear mistake made in the call on the field that the refs can basically just be like well no, we had a look at it and couldn't see any problems without having without basically being compelled to do a proper review like they do on so many plays but also then the nfl coming out and saying the refs did the right thing because when they saw it initially there was no nothing to definitively indicate that the call was wrong again not counting the player who had the ball in his hands raised above his head so it's one of those just really bizarre that it just seems to all the safety mechanisms seem to have failed on every level. Because uh, even after you know after say the fail Mary, we had like Dean Blandino coming out being like, "Oh, the call was this, 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 and this." In the NFL issuing statements, they're defending the refs, and you've got to feel to an extent that they feel like they can get away with it because it's Cleveland. Yeah, there is a there is a degree of that. Like it's it. I I, I agree with you 100. The one that really rubs me the wrong way is the fact that they've came out days later and said. No, that was completely correct. Uh, and I believe I believe the, the phrasing they used was, just because someone separate from the huddle has the football doesn't mean they won the football in the huddle. But when the point is that there was never a football in the huddle, that that was just complete confusion on the field, then that's an irrelevant statement. Yeah, that was the weird thing. That was the thing. Cause it was like, we couldn't show a recovery in the pile by a Cleveland player. So there was no recovery in the pile. And it's like, but yes! Yes, because there's no football in the pile. Yeah. Well, I think the sequence of events was such that Duke Johnson fumbled the ball that way into the pile, and then I think the best approximation we have is that the ball looked like the uh, Mizungo player was about to grab over it, and then it bounced off them. But you can't see any of the presumed action that happened inside the huddle. I assume the reason that the NFL uh, commanded this is that they don't want to encourage people to be hyperactive in, in those type of situations. Which we know players are, like there's lots of stories about what happened in fumble situations with pitched arseholes and all that type of shit. Um, so I think presumably that's part of the reason why they 
err on the side of just going with the first call in general. Like, I think there's definitely no evidence to have overturned it, but I can see why, within the words of the rules, if not the spirit, they chose to do what they did. Uh, I, I, I kind of disagree with you entirely on that, mm. but... Uh... I don't know. I suppose you're just you're just a fan of broken institutions, Fitz. That's all. Like I think. Well, ask more catches. Yeah. <laughs> I think no. Like, I just think it's that. Like I get where you're coming from because I, I understand the sort of letter of the law, spirit of the law kind of thing. But I when you talk about like safety, the issue is is that the ball isn't in the pile at any point. It's not at the bottom of the pile, so this doesn't affect how hard players go for it because there is not. They're literally fighting over nothing at that point. And I think the reverse happens because in that case, you've justified players fighting over a pretend football and pinching and biting each other over a pretend football when the actual one is is completely somewhere else. To so, be fair, they were biting their own teammates. So. Yeah, it was pretty weird. <laughs> there, there was just Washington players, but I, I don't know. Look, yeah. they sold it. It's a very, very weird scenario. If you haven't seen it, just hop online. It's all up on all of the YouTube channels and stuff. It's just it's just ridiculous to watch. We'll do a quick run through some of the injuries because a lot of this is going to fold into the uh, into the main games. Uh, JJ Watt has gone to IR with back surgery. He's likely gone for the season. Obviously a big loss, uh, but it now opens up the... Well, I was going to say it opens up the field for Defensive Player of the Year, but God knows these fuckers will probably still give it to him. Like... <laughs> Oh, no, now he's not there. It's definitely Clay Matthews. Uh, Sorry, Watts, Watts just setting himself up for comeback player of the year yeah. next year. Ugh. And it should, in theory, open up the AFC South, but everyone else sucks. Yeah, AFC South <laughs> sucks fucking rocks. Like Cam Newton got concussed on a very interesting play. We'll discuss it during the game, uh, but he's likely gone from next week. Palmer also got a concussion due to a short week. He's probably gone. This is a big loss, given that he played like dog shit for the last couple of weeks. I think that's it. Like, they'll manage, probably. Oh, Stanton looked awful. <laughs> But their problem's going to be on Carson Palmer, so it's... Yeah, that's true. Simeon's got an injury to his arm again, but the rookie looked good coming in behind him. I'll be honest, like, he looked pretty, pretty solid. Uh, So I don't see a huge amount coming out of that, do you? Well, I think credit to Kubiak, because as soon as that was the case, it was like, right, what can Paxton Lynch do? Paxton Lynch can roll out and do half-field reads. We're going to run a load of rollouts and bootlegs with half-field reads. And Denver just adapted brilliantly to it, admittedly against the opponent who was already pretty beat down at that point. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like the coaching is good enough to, to survive this one. Yeah. I think what's interesting to see will how it will affect the run game, because obviously that zone block system is tailor-made for someone like Simeon, maybe not for so much for Lynch. Brian, for Dallas, is a hairline fracture. He's week to week. Like like I said, he hasn't been targeted a huge amount in that offense as it stands, but he is a, he is a big game player, and he is obviously going to be a, a loss to that team uh, until he comes back in because it is something that they can work into the system because even if he's not getting receptions, he's pulling defenders off them and stuff, so that is quite a loss. Hopefully he gets back soon. Uh, Kyle Fuller for Chicago has gone to, uh, gone to IR. Did his knee and he's probably gone for the season. Also, Jerry Langford is gone for four to six weeks. Um, well, if anything, it's improved their run game. <laughs> it does appear to have, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about uh, them a little bit later as well. Uh, uh, San Francisco have had uh, an injury to themselves. Bowman is now probably gone for the season with an injured Achilles. Uh, not like they were going huge places, but this is probably going to have a big impact on how they play the rest of their season, right? Yeah, like Bowman was definitely, I think, their best player up to this point. Despite all the struggles, he was a massive, massive piece for them, and that's a that's a big blow. Yeah, of course. And Atlanta have lost some of their linebacking core. Uh, Sean Weatherspoon's gone for probably the season again with an Achilles. Uh, how does this going to impact? Well, I suppose we're going to talk about them in a bit, but like, does this have a big impact on them moving forward? He never really lived up to his potential, but that front seven didn't have a lot of depth, so I don't think. I think every bit hurts for that team. 
Okay, so the first game we're going to look at, uh, we're only going to do three this week because we're going to try and spend a bit of time on your questions and stuff. Uh, Ring of Honor this week, Carolina at, at, uh, at Atlanta. This was a hell of a game, 33-48. to 48. Uh, It was a bit of a surprise, Atlanta looked good. Falcons moved to 3-1 and one in the division, two games clear of everyone else there. Panthers at 1-3, and three, uh, which means they're also behind the entirety of the NFC East, which uh, <laughs> I thought was kind of interesting. Cam got knocked out with a, well, I have potential concussion, but essentially concussion, uh, on a two-point conversion that he still managed to convert somehow with a bizarre floating arm. Uh, like, they had no run game. They, like, allowed 300 yards. I just couldn't, can't imagine, like, this is meant to be one of the top-end defences, and they allowed a 300-yard player. They did get a defensive touchdown, but, like, this defence was looking gack. Atlanta had 90 rushing yards, but didn't really need the run game. They had over 500 yards passing. Julio Jones is just a beast, and this team is rolling. Uh, I suppose I'll start with Ronan on this one. Like, we did not call this at all. What did we miss about this Atlanta team? And a legit Super Bowl contender? No, probably not. But what we did miss in this team is that this offense has lots of offensive pieces that are very special. And that if those come together, this team has the capacity to roll over teams who don't have elite defenses. You know, I'm sure Harry will talk about Carolina right now. Their defense does not look elite. When you look at this offense, what you're looking at is an offense which has the capacity to use Matt Ryan actually coming to his level, which is to be a good quarterback who has the potential to be a great quarterback on his day, and what he's had over the first few weeks, and really show what he can do. Like, it's not a case that Julio Jones has been the sole factor in this offense. Before this week, he's been relatively quiet by Julio Jones' standards, but in this week we saw that when you target Julio Jones, you can see his number of yards double from last year. Like, he had a lot of yards last year, but this year literally just, like, blew the roof off. In that case, what we're looking at is a bit of a flat-track bully team, but which has the capacity to be in the running for like maybe a wildcard spot. The big challenge for Atlanta comes in the next two games. They're away to Denver, they're away to the Seahawks. Before we really anoint this as like a contender team, we really need to see what they can do against them. And the other thing we need to see is, like, is their defense up to much? Because while this offense is definitely talented enough to push them into the playoff picture, the defense still isn't getting pressure. One sack this week, two sacks last week. This isn't the type of pressure that you expect from Dan Quinn, who's obviously from the Seahawks coaching tree. And if they don't get that kind of pressure, they're going to get beaten up by the elite guys in the NFC and in the AFC uh, during this season. This is a good team, maybe a wildcard contender, but probably not in the upper echelons of the NFC. Fair enough. Now, I don't know if you saw Josh Norman's tweets that he, uh, that he sent okay. after this game, given he's like, you know, 300 yards on the receiver, that's what you get when you get rid of me, kind of thing. Uh, not that he'd be travelling with Julio Jones, but, like, we quite like Carolina on this podcast over the last year, so, like, is this a drop-off that we just didn't want to see? Because it, it's always historically the runners up in Super Bowls drop off more than the actual winners in Super Bowls do the following year, and we just presumed these guys would keep rolling. Like, is that just us making mistakes, judging entirely on last season? You know, I think to an extent it is, and I think we were kind of blinded. I know the Super Bowl thing statistically is generally true, but I don't know if it's always got to be true. I mean, look at, say, Patriots teams have lost in the Super Bowl, the Seattle Seahawks, who, uh, you know, still looked still looked good the year after and so on. But what you we, we really missed there is that this was not a good team before last year, and it didn't change a whole lot last year. 
So we assumed this was a team maturing and coming together and hitting its stride. And because of that, I think we just discounted the possibility that this was just an outlier season with a, a relatively soft schedule. Although I think too much has been made of that. Yeah. Where it was just one of those years where everything clicked. And now we're seeing it click a little less well. We're seeing all pro- problems come back, like Jonathan Stewart's injury problems have made a big, big difference to this team. You can't pretend that hasn't been a factor. Um, they've been figured out, I think, a bit by their opponents. Not so much this week, but in previous weeks where, again, we saw, can they deal with the pressure? No, they can't. Their offensive tackles are still a problem. There are still good defenses can still absolutely shut them down because they're a team that relies on plays developing, relies on long mesh points and handoffs to decisions being made by the quarterback. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It still takes time to play that style, right? What we, what we saw this week, I think, though, that was more concerning was we saw the defense struggle. And I think there was always this concern that without Josh Norman, uh, without, admittedly, uh, slow and old Roman Harper, without pieces like that, it was going to take some time to figure this out, this very young backfield. And that has been the case. What happened was, I think, Atlanta gave them a lot of different looks. I think credit to actually haven't been a big fan of his. Kyle Shanahan's mixed the game up for Atlanta a bit and was able to throw the Carolina defense off balance by doing different things Big change from the previous week, adjustments in game, flipping around the running back, seeing what was working, and Carolina could not make those adjustments on the back end, and then in the end, Julio was just able to tear away from a young and inexperienced backfield. For Carolina, you know, it's not necessarily all disaster, we could see the pieces come together for them, but it's a big, big test now for Ron Rivera, because they have to change what they're doing, or they have to keep sticking with it and hope that there's a patience from the fan base and that their players can keep their heads up long enough for everything to gel. Because if it doesn't, we could see them just sort of descending into another mess season where they're going to, you know, lose uh, to teams with explosive offenses or tough defenses. Now, they do have the benefit of having a relatively soft run of games coming up. They've got the Bucks, the Saints, and the Cardinals, three teams who are absolutely all over the shop at the moment. So that might give them some time to work things out. But right now, it's beginning to look like what we saw was just one of those times where everything is going right and the problems disappear. And now we're just seeing those problems come back. Yeah, no, of course. Like these, these are two teams that are trending in different directions, but I think we all believe will be closer at the end of this season than their current separation would suggest. So, like a couple of important weeks for both these teams coming up. Our neutral zone game this week is the Oakland Raiders at the Baltimore Ravens, a twenty-eight to twenty-seven nail biter. Uh, often rough game, kind of borderline dangerous in parts. Uh, both these teams were hitting hard. Uh, Oakland's offense turned up, and the Baltimore defense was quite frankly quite absent for a large section of this game. Here's here's some of the stats of this Baltimore defense that had looked good for the first couple of weeks. They got zero sacks. They got zero QB hits. They got no interceptions. They recovered one fumble that I don't think was necessarily their making. They allowed four passing touchdowns on them. Like it was, it was a real shocking performance from them, uh, from a team that you know <laughs> was unbeaten going into this week. Uh, neither team looked great. Like two hundred sixty yards of offense for Oakland, three hundred less than three hundred thirty for Baltimore. Like it was a strong quarter four performance from them both. Like the Ravens were down by nine, managed to take back the lead, and then Oakland responded within a minute to to to, to go back up with two minutes left, and then there was failure on the final drive to, to get anything going. So Harry, I'll come to you first on this one. Baltimore were unbeaten. This game they had nothing but field goals until after the fortieth minute in the game, and their defense dropped off. Is this just a down week for this team, or was it a bit of a mirage what we saw in the first three? No, I, I don't think it's either, to be honest with you. Um, I think this is pretty much the level they've been playing at. They've been gutting it out, really, without looking particularly impressive. And I think we recognised from their first three weeks that they were lucky to be uh, undefeated going into this game. 
And I think what we saw again was them getting into a, a tight, relatively ugly in some places game, very, where they were using their physicality to stay in it, sometimes maybe crossing the line on some of those hits we yeah. saw. But ultimately just like being a, a, just a, a tough proposition. But for them, you know, they couldn't in the end win this one against what is a very talented, very talented Oakland team. Um, you do have to be a bit worried for the way their offense is playing, though. As much as their defense is, is wobbly, it is also one that is able to make things difficult, although they have been giving up plays, and we, we saw that when, when Oakland were really able to put the pedal to the metal. Now, bear in mind that, that Oakland had less than 100 yards passing in the first half. They finished with less than 200 yards through the air throughout the game. They didn't have a particularly good rushing performance. Like, Baltimore didn't get, like, didn't actually give up a lot of yards and didn't give Oakland a lot of opportunities. Oakland were just able to take their opportunities better than Baltimore were, who, to be honest, probably should have been in control of this game and were in control of this game in terms of a lot of statistical measures but weren't able to land things. So you're worried that that offense lacks bite. Flacco hasn't looked comfortable coming back off his surgery yet this season. That's something that, you know, sometimes that just does take time to work out. The running game is a little bit all over the place. They still are a team without a number one rusher. And um, they do seem to just have lapses. Um, we saw it again where uh, against uh, Cleveland, where it just took them ages to figure out they were playing a football game. We saw it here at the end where they basically let the game get away from them when they really should have been able to close it out in the fourth quarter. You have to wonder, like, what can this team actually do well? Because right now, it's not doing anything particularly well. It's doing a little bit of what Ronan mentioned about the Rams. It's making games ugly. It's pulling teams into a fight. But good teams and precise teams are being able to take advantage of that. So you've got to be worried what happens when, you know, when they go up against, like, a pit, the Pittsburgh Steelers or whoever, mm. it could get really, really ugly for them. I know what so. happens when you go up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, well, I mean, it's real ugly it, real it quick. It does get real ugly real fast. So, yeah, this is a team that just can't seem to, like, find its feet, can't seem to, like, work out a, basically a game plan to do stuff, to take control of it, even when they're playing well. And that's something that's got to worry Baltimore because there's only so many of these coin flip games are going to come down in your favour. No, of course. I do, think that, I do think there's an element of some of the way they're playing when you're saying they can of heavy hitting forcing themselves into games being physical with people that's the kind of thing that plays their strengths in the back half of the season when it gets a bit wetter when it gets a bit colder and I suppose that's what a lot of this division is built for playing in but yeah like they're, they're, they, they, they have to get something together before that point to make sure that they're relevant at the time that that can, can be leaned on like, and bear in mind it's, it's worth mentioning the only reason Baltimore were really in this game uh, at all was because Steve Smith went full angry Steve Smith yeah. Like, this was a disorganized game plan. Other than Smith, I think their next best receiver was the fullback. Like, it, it didn't make a lot of sense what they were doing. No, of course. They don't look comfortable. No, of course. Ronan, I'm going to come to you then on Oakland. They moved to 3-1. and one. They're tied for number two in the AFC at the moment. Uh, and they've had these wins on the road. Like, this is this is a big achievement for this team. What from this game thinks makes you think that that will continue because they've got two very important games coming up. They've got two home games against divisional rivals. They've got San Diego coming up this week, and then they've got the Chiefs at home. So is this is this something they can build on? Yeah, like I think for two reasons. One, there's confidence there. This is a team which has a young quarterback and a relatively young offense. A lot of pieces who are trying to prove themselves. And they're making a lot of success, even without Amari Cooper, probably their best offensive weapon, doing that much this season. Michael Crabtree looks like a man reborn. And, De- and Carr obviously trusts him in those possession situations. Like Crabtree in previous years, like I believe Harbaugh was described as having the best hands in the NFL. He's showing that this year. I'm sure every time the 49ers look at Crabtree catching one of them, they, they cry a little. And I think this is a team which is playing with like confidence. It's playing with like a bit of edge to it. And it all started from that first game with obviously the two-point conversion 
winning the game against the Saints. This is a team and a coach who are happy to ride this kind of confidence train all the way to a number of victories in this case, and a number of shutouts, like a number of shootouts, uh, although they did lose the one to Atlanta. On the downside, the one issue is the defense still looks suspect. The defense still looks like it could be an issue. And that, for me, is very worrying because that's where we expected the biggest improvement over last year. Like, we expected with all the investment with Sean Smith and Bruce Irvin, etc., that we would see a lot more from that defense. But instead, we've seen an incredible reversion. And even, like, what we were considered world, like world-changing talent, such as Khalil Mack, have underperformed relative to what we thought they were. Now, they didn't do too badly in this game, but over the course of the four games, this isn't the amount of points that you want to be giving up if you want to win on a consistent basis. It's kind of the opposite of the, of the Ravens. They kind of are winning close games because they're kind of pulling people down with them. The Oakland Raiders are, let, are into close games because they're letting old people come up to them by having a defense which isn't able to shut down games and isn't able to complement what is a very exciting offense. So for me, like these two games are incredibly important against a very up-and-down Chargers team and a KC team which is looking to reassert itself coming off the bye week, I believe. Yeah. So incredibly important. There's a lot of things to hope for, especially with Derek Carr showing the kind of progress that we haven't seen from Blake Bortles or from Jameis Winston or from Mariota. I think there's a lot of reasons to be happy, and getting wins on the board early is always good, but we'll definitely have to see right here. Yeah, yeah. No, I like the next next two games are key for them. Uh, if they if they can come out with one or two wins out of those, that'll be huge, because they'll be widening the gap, and those are both divisional games for them. Uh, the next game we look at in the dumpster fire section is Detroit at Chicago, 14-17. to 17. Brian Hoyer, the destroyer, stepped up for Chicago in their home win over Detroit. Jordan Howard ran well. He got 111 yards, averaging 4.8 yards a carry, which is what they are looking for. They needed to reassert that running game. And uh, Eddie Royal, of all people, went off for 111 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Threw two interceptions. There's not a huge amount else to say about the... Or, sorry, got two interceptions. Uh, Not a huge amount to say outside of that. Stafford had an absolute stinker of a game. 213 yards, no touchdowns and two picks. They had a non-existent running game. They benched Golden Tate because he was playing so badly and caused one of those interceptions. Now, I get that they're missing a lot of players and stuff, but like these teams both sucked balls in this. Chicago looked the better team. They looked a better game plans team as well, but with less well-equipped personnel to, <laughs> to, 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 to bring that to fruition. This is a game that Chicago should have probably been winning a little bit more than they ended up doing in the end. So, Rhoda, I'll come to you on this one first. Is this a spark of hope for Chicago team, or is it just more noise that's going to cause problems with people demanding they bench Cutler and change management and stuff, given this team looked so much better without him under centre? Well, the fact that John Fox has done nothing to quell that particular line of thought, the latest press conference basically saying, if a player is playing well, we'll play them, uh, it certainly points to the fact that this Chicago Bears team is in transition. Unfortunately, Jake Cutler is signed through to 2020, so yeah. there's going to be some contract shenanigans that's going to happen there. But, like, yeah, I think like we saw Brian Hoyer for what he is. Like, if you give him time and don't put him under extreme pressure and don't expect him to throw the ball downfield, he's actually very efficient at what he does. Like, Eddie Royals is a yards after the catch specialist. Obviously, he does kick, he does punt returns and stuff like that. So he's the perfect type of player for Brian Hoyer because he doesn't have to throw it further than 15 yards to get the first down. While players like Alshon Jeffrey are very much more that contested catch down the field type of player, and you can see that they were relatively limited in this game. If there's going to be hope for them from this game, it's probably coming from Jordan Howard, their rookie running back, 
putting up a extremely effective performance, although he didn't get a touchdown. Over 100 yards, it has to be very good because, like, the Jeremy Langford situation seemed to be a bit of a purgatory for them. Like, Langford had shown some stuff last year, but his yards per carry was pretty mediocre. I think getting a young player in there who looks a bit more hungry and, like, who's a little bit more X-factor or special ability to be an actual, like, special running back in the league is a point of hope for the Chicago Bears offense and certainly something they'll be running through while Hoyer is in the seat. Like, I don't think the Chicago Bears have any hope of making the playoffs, but... They just, like with all the injuries that they've suffered, they're just looking to maybe crawl out into a six, seven win season at best. And to do that, they're going to beat teams like the Lions, who are more abject than this day. So some hope, but the long-term future perhaps is still as muddled as ever. No, of course. Hey, when we look at the Lions in this game, this is three losses for them now and everything seems to be sliding the wrong way. Their previously very productive receiver Golden Tate was benched for being shite. Uh, their quarterback couldn't get shit done. Their running game was non-existent. I think they're feeling the loss of Abdullah uh, here where they can't get anything established. It's the reality of what that team is right now. How can they look to the rest of their schedule and progress in this season? That's a good question. I don't know what's next to Lions because like so with the loss of that like I don't know why they're trying to make Theo Riddick happen as a lead back he's on a lead back he's very talented third down back he's just like, a receiver like yeah they're rece- and the thing is their receivers aren't playing well they had I think two two completions over 15 yards in that game like Matt Stafford continues to be a random number generator at quarterback what seems to be really weird though this season is that they're they will score around as many points as the opponents and whether it's more or less I don't know generally less but we've seen them now get into two shootouts and two absolute non-event stinkers. Yeah. There's no consistency there. I and mean, it's very difficult to establish consistency without a run game. The defense looks all over the place, really. Like, they, Hoyer, as, as Ronan correctly identified, had a huge amount of time to throw in this game and to make decisions. And Detroit just couldn't function. There was, there was no sense of organization. There was no sense of, like, they knew what they were doing. This was a bad team, a team they should be able to get yards on. Despite all of the talent, in the same way they did against Tennessee, they just shut themselves down for some reason and couldn't get anything going. You know, how do they move on going forward? This is, this is the same cycle this team has been in for the entirety of the Matt Stafford era. This is what they are. Somewhere between, like, threatening and bad depending on variables week on week and do they have more good games or bad games you don't know because there is no sense of consistency with this team there is no sense of reliability there is always this drama and close games and shootouts but if you're like who did Detroit turn to especially now with Calvin Johnson gone to win them a game and I don't know who it is it could have been Amir Abdullah at the start of the season but he's gone now and you look at like oh yeah Marvin Jones had that amazing game and then he reverts to just being a pretty good receiver, but not a guy who can dominate and take over games. I'm just not sure that this team has a plan. I'm not sure Jim Caldwell knows what he's doing. I mean, look at Jim Caldwell. Look at him on the sidelines <laughs> there, just stone-faced. This team is, is, has just been spinning in circles and spinning its wheels for so long, and at no point has anybody come up with a, a way to move the team forward, to get them out of that rut. It's like, let's just keep banging our heads off this wall until something clicks and we have a good season by happenstance. Because that's the way the numbers fall, and we just win those close games, and we win those shootouts. It's not happening. Something needs to change. I don't know what it is, but I think we're looking at a team that is going to be pretty shortly in some kind of rebuild mode at this stage. Yeah. Time to break out them brown bags. I'm sure you still got them from the last time, boys. <laughs> but yeah, so that's going to wrap up our, uh, our game reviews from last week, and we're going to move on to some questions from you, the listener. So we're going to deal with one big question here. It came in from Kean. He said... 
Is there any point in San Diego carrying on? Are they cursed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe the answer is yes, they're cursed. What he's referring to, obviously, is the horrific number of injuries that the Chargers have received and how collapsy their team has become. In their first week, they lost Keenan Allen to a non-contact ACL for the season. In the second week, they lost Danny Woodhead. Then they lost Monte Teo to an Achilles. They've now lost Orlando Franklin. They've also got Denzel Perryman injured. Gates, Flowers, Bosa, Adai, Brown and Barksdale are all also injured and not playing. Some of them might come in Later on, people like Bosa have not played yet uh, due to underlying hamstring issue and also the fact that he didn't come into the building until week one of the regular season and does not know how to play in the NFL yet. This team have been incredibly unfortunate, especially given that a lot of these weren't injuries people got from hitting off someone else. It was literally from them standing on the turf. What, if anything, can they do? The first four weeks were characterised by phantom injuries Week four then iced, or put a little cherry on top, by effectively adding Phantom Fumble. Effectively, in the fourth quarter, the Chargers had a massive lead, and then two fumbles, in nothing, like non-contact fumbles, if that's a thing, happened, and basically led to them losing a one-point game to the prodigal son, Drew Brees. Like, that's why I think this question is more relevant than ever this week. This is a team that can't stop them getting out of their own way of winning a game. And there's just something wrong in, in, in that town. Maybe it's like revenge from San Diego. Like, this is what you get for, for trying to change or something like that. Yeah, like, this is a team that, like, on paper, coming into the season, had a lot of hope. Their performances in the season so far should give you some hope. But the injuries and the mistakes and everything are just so bad that you can't help going into the same kind of depression that genuinely bad teams like Detroit, Chicago... Uh, 49ers brands are currently suffering from and it's almost worse because you're like we should be winning and yet we're still probably going to end up in the same kind of win-loss as those type of teams yeah um, what about yourself yeah I think it's karma because the owner's an asshole uh, this, is, this is what you get for trying to screw over rookies uh, and being a dick and trying to move the team and everything like he's incompetent like, incompetent team I don't even know what's going on. Are they cursed? It's plausible at this point. What you said, like the way they've lost the game, the way they, have, they haven't been able to hold on to leads this season, just everything going wrong. And I mean, you've got to feel bad for Philip Rivers. He's on course for a remarkable season. If he keeps up his current stats, he's going like 4,500 yards, over 30 touchdowns, very few interceptions, and the team is, 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 is one and three. Like, it's just remarkable how poorly built I think we're seeing it is again. And again, we said it last season. We said it so many times. There's no depth. Once one player goes down, once two players go down, they're screwed. They don't have the ability to maintain a, a, a roster through even a couple of injuries, let alone a full-blown crisis like they're already in this season. And then the fact that the, all these just errors are happening at the worst possible time. Like, those phantom fumbles, they do happen during games. But they happen when it doesn't matter. To have two at that juncture, incredibly bad luck. Yeah, like, is there any point in them continuing? I mean, it's just been bizarre. It happens to teams every now and again, but for all of this to happen in such a compressed space of time at the start of San Diego season, to already basically put them pretty firmly on the road to another lost season, another closing of Philip Rivers' window, which is going to be swinging shut in a couple of years, as much as anything else, you've got to look at how the roster's been built, the ownership, the GM, and say, like, you've got Philip Rivers, you have these pieces, why do you have no depth? Why do you keep making these errors? What is going on from the coaches upwards with this organization that is allowing these problems to happen and is allowing this to be a consistent problem 
for them. Yeah, like, I don't know what they need. Like, is it an exorcism? Is it maybe a new strength and conditioning coach? Like, they need something to come in and try and help these things. I think it's also, like, there is a degree as well to which these things will demoralise a team. And when they're already heavily demoralised, they had one of their longest standing players leave the team on the basis he didn't want to play for a team that would treat their fan base that way and said he never wanted to return to them as a safety. Like, this is a team where morale is already low and this is going to crush it. Well, to be fair, they didn't, it wasn't just about the fans. They, they ran him out of town. Yeah. Well, like, after they, they, they find, the organisation find him because he went to see his daughter at halftime because she was performing. Yeah, it's just... It's clueless. It's the ownership. It all comes back to the ownership in these cases. And while you can't directly blame the owner for what happens on the field, you can damn well blame them for not having backups. You can damn well blame them for running players out of town. You can damn well blame them for the Joey Bosa situation. Oh, yeah. Like, there's there, there's a huge amount of blame to go around, and very little to any of it is going on to the players here. There might be some to the coaches for some of their game plans, but a heavy amount of this is the management. Like, honestly, I think they do need to keep going, because, like, I'm sure legally they have to. <laughs> um, is, there, is there a system in place whereby they can actually... Actually, this is a genuine question. Is there a way where you can forfeit games in the NFL? Presumably you just not turn up. It's like that fella the other day who missed the team bus and had to get an Uber all the way to the... Uh, his stadium. Yeah, to the... Not not just to his stadium, to an, to an away stadium. But yeah, so, Keita, that's your question. Yes, they are cursed. We're not sure exactly what caused it, but probably because all of their man- management are monsters. Should they continue? Uh, probably. But if they had a choice, I probably wouldn't. And uh, with that, we're going to move on to the picks for next week. So our first game is going to be Arizona at San Francisco. Uh, We've all taken Arizona in this one, I suppose. Uh, Harry, I'll let you kick us off. Why have we decided to back the currently awful Arizona Cardinals? Because they're playing the currently awful San Francisco 49ers. I don't know what's wrong with them this season, but at the end of the day, San Francisco are not a good team. They've struggled to make plays on offense and defense. They've lost their best defensive player for the year. They keep calling read options with Blaine Gabbert as if either of those things are a good idea. Mm. Like, you think that despite their problems, Arizona's defense still does have enough talent to shut down uh, the Niners. No, of course. Like, our next one's Houston at Minnesota. Uh, I've taken Minnesota. Harry's taken Minnesota. Fitz has taken Minnesota across the board. Uh, Fitz, I suppose I'll go to you on this one. Why, uh, why are we taking Minnesota? Well, Houston are a good team. Minnesota are an elite team. Elite teams usually beat good teams, especially at home. So I expect that uh, this defense will probably crush Brock Osweiler into many pieces. But Will Fuller will still manage to drop at least one catch. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I just have no trust in Brock Osweiler. Yeah, I think that's fair. Or Lamar Miller. Yeah, that's true. Lamar Miller does not look great. Uh, our next one, that's the first one we differ on. We've got Chicago traveling to Indianapolis. I've taken Chicago and Harry's taken Chicago. We, we agonize over this pick and uh, Fitz has taken Indianapolis. So I'll go, Harry, why, uh, why Chicago? Um, I think Chicago are still dysfunctional. I think Indianapolis are totally dysfunctional. We saw that. Like Chicago's problem is that Chicago has struggled to move the ball this season. They've struggled to finish drives this season. I don't think they've got more than two touchdowns in any game. However, Indianapolis's defense is appalling this season. Uh, Chicago have found suddenly a run game. They've got a guy like Brian Horror who, when he's not put under pressure, can make throws that are functional. Um, Indianapolis have struggled to put people under pressure up front. 
pretty consistently this season. Their pass rush is very old and very slow. And these are guys who are incredibly talented, but whose bodies can't, you know, like the guys like Walden and Mathis and Dequel Jackson, guys whose bodies just can't keep up anymore, really. And you can have, so can have one or two of those. It's not okay to have pretty much your entire front seven made out of guys like that. No. So I think this is the kind of matchup that just works well for Chicago. Indy's defense just isn't isn't good enough right now, and their offense is a hot mess that is once again going back to leaning entirely on Andrew Luck to pull miracles out of his ass. No, of course. What about yourself there, Fitz? Yeah, I guess it's mostly an offense versus offense issue. I think like both defenses are, are very battered and terrible. And I think Andrew Luck in a shootout, I'll always take Andrew Luck in a shootout. He somehow nearly managed to win the Jacks game despite being two touchdowns down. I think against Chicago, he might have enough to actually pull off the miracle. The fact that they're still relying on those miracles is certainly a problem, but this one I'll give to them at home. Yeah, like I've got, I've got a feeling, I was saying during the Chicago game uh, to Harry here, that um, probably more talent in the Chicago defense than we give it credit for. Not that it's talented, but that it's better than the garbage that we think it is. Like watching that Colts line at the London game, like their left tackle... I don't think ever finished a play closer than five yards back from where he started. Like, they were fucking atrocious. I think the Bears' defense are actually going to look relatively good against this uh, offensive line. And I think that kind of disruption is going to cause problems when they're putting everything on Andrew Luck. And I can imagine a lot of clock eating from Chicago as well. So they're going to be able to control the pace of the game to suit themselves. Next game is New York Jets at the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've taken the Pittsburgh Steelers across the board. Uh, Harry, why the Steelers? They've had their bad, they've got their bad game out of the way. They look really good. They're playing at home against a Jets team that can't stop turning over the football. Yeah. So while I, I would expect the uh, Jets to perhaps look a little bit better maybe than they have over the last two weeks because they can't look worse, Pittsburgh's defense has started to come into its own a bit. Their offense at home is nigh on unstoppable. They have so many weapons. Lev Bell is back. I, I just don't see how the Jets can stop them, especially with Revis looking like he slowed down this year. Although... Based on how he was playing last week, Calvin Pryor might actually kill somebody. <laughs> Tennessee at Miami. We've got a bit of a split on this one. I've gone Miami. I can't believe I had to pick Miami in a game. But they are playing Tennessee. Harry's taken Tennessee and Fitz has taken Miami. Uh, Fitz, why Miami? Miami are a terrible team, but they have played some decent teams fairly close. And they managed to get a win. They weren't great against Cincinnati, but they did truly terrible. While Tennessee have looked truly terrible... I think like Tennessee's only trick is running the ball straight away with DeMarco Murray. And I think the Miami front has looked good enough that they should be able to put a stop to that. And Tennessee, at the moment, just seems to find ways to lose games. So it's very hard to pick Tennessee for any game at the moment. So on a, on a home kind of situation again, I'll take Miami. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying to an extent. But I think we saw in the Patriots game that when you run the ball a load against Miami, they crumble. And they crumbled against Legarrette Blunt, and I think they're going to crumble against uh, a mixture of Murray. And I think we might see a bit more of Henry in this game because I think Miami has struggled to deal with powerful runners this season. I just can't trust Miami at the moment. I think their offense is all over the place. Their defense is very talent deficient in a lot of key areas. Their backfield is not good. We're looking at a Tennessee team that, yes, looks absolutely putrid at times, but has also been in close games, has proven against the Lions that it can win close games against opponents who are making it ugly. This is going to be an ugly game. Tennessee's defense has looked okay at times, surprisingly, particularly up front. This is a Miami team that has no ability to throw the football right now and has no run game. 
Like, I just don't see how Miami win games right now. Like, there there is nothing going for that team offensively. Uh, also, TJ Sharp's going to get 200 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, well, you see, the problem with that is they never remember he's there until the end of the fourth quarter. And then they <laughs> pass to him twice. My, my, my issue in this game is that I look at it as being two terrible teams and I have absolutely no faith in Tennessee whatsoever. I can't stand the type of football they play. They're hard to watch. Uh, I don't think they've got an offensive philosophy that plays at the NFL level. Uh, whatsoever, like I said, like their 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 best plays are give it to Murray and like just hope he's still the man he was in Dallas, like, and that has happened a couple of times. But uh, yeah, like I think low scoring, horrible to watch, and I I want it to be not as horrible as it could be, specifically so we don't have to discuss it next week in the dumpster fire section. So that's 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 my call. A really bad but not the worst game we're going to see. Hopefully, Philadelphia at Detroit. We've taken Philadelphia across the board. I think this is a fairly obvious one as to why we discussed Detroit earlier they are garbage they haven't been able to figure anything out they need to take a week or two maybe go on a sun holiday and just (laughs) think about where they want to go in life maybe quit the job uh, like per, per, pursue making jewellery or some shit like that set up an online service selling cheese um, Philadelphia have looked excellent uh, like young quarterback looking good offensive good defensive good I, I can't see them losing to this Detroit team even though they're away New England now Harry you picked this one out as being the game that you're really interested in looking at your pick of the week uh, New England at Cleveland I can only imagine why <laughs> you a New England Patriots fan picked this game but uh, go on give us a bit on this I just want to watch a snuff movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is really like this is this is just to make myself feel better after the Buffalo game, to be honest with you, which was horrendous. No, I actually think you know Cleveland tend to play New England quite tough, and I still think we're going to win. I think we're going to win comfortably. I think it's going to be really interesting because this is a proper test for Cleveland. As in, we've seen them get into like scrappy close games with bad teams, and I think that's like okay, how are Cleveland actually going to do against Tom Brady? How are Cleveland going to do? Uh, in in a, in a much more difficult situation, but also how are Cleveland going to do in a game where the pressure is off, where they've lost the first four games, they're playing a team nobody thinks they're going to beat. Um, I think that's actually a scenario where we could see them come out and mm. play quite an interesting game and do some different things. Actually, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they're going to lose. I think they're going to get hockey. But uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Cleveland approach this. It's also obviously going to be fun and interesting to see what happens now. Tom Brady is back. This is what it's all about. This is the point where this is going to be the team that everyone has to beat going forward. I really wish my team would start three and one. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And I don't mean—I don't even mean that it's like everyone's got to beat the Patriots. But I mean, this is the Patriots team. This is what the Patriots team are going to look like going forward. This is what the Patriots team are going to be like for the rest of the season. This is what we are actually going to see. The game plan for Tom Brady. We're going to see the offense that we intended to run before uh, the the suspension was confirmed, before we had to adapt things for Garoppolo, before we had to adapt things for Brissett. So I re- I'm really, really excited to see that just on its own terms and be like, this is, this is what the team is going to look like. This is going to make everyone better because it's a system they're comfortable with. It's a quarterback they're comfortable with. And I'm just really excited to see that full flow New England Patriots in action. I just want to see Tom Brady throw for like eight touchdowns in the first quarter yeah it's going to be really interesting watching the last 12 like regular season games of Tom Brady as a as a New England Patriot quarterback before they trade him <laughs> in the off season to Cleveland yes yeah we'll, we'll trade him for Terrell Pryor <laughs> and nothing else just to fuck with them yeah, like. just exactly oh you had a nice little project you had going there right? but, but yeah I think we've both got uh, New England in that game as well but yeah no, it will be interesting to see but like it, it's going to be a curb stomp yeah Washington at Baltimore is up next and the Zungus travelling 
to go see a hard-nosed team in Baltimore. I have taken the Mazungus, and you guys have taken Baltimore in this game. So, uh, Fitz, why Baltimore? Baltimore have been mostly winning games and have a good and have a good defense. I think like Washington or Washington had a good like weekend against Cleveland. That's fine. Kirk Cousins looks good against bad defenses, but against a good defense, I think he'll be shown up once again. I think we've seen the limit of Kirk Cousins. He doesn't play well against good teams, even like average to good teams. Uh, and I think Baltimore fit into that category, so I expect that this will be another round that the Mizungos uh, will lose to. So that's kind of where I can see things right now. Fair enough, yeah. Like, to be honest, it's not one that the I, lo- I love the Washington team here. It's just more, I think... They've got a lot of pieces on offense, and I have not been mad impressed by Baltimore's defense, especially last week. Uh, I think we've seen Cousins look a little bit better, a little bit happier in that offense in the last week or so as well. Uh, also, it's just it's just the unreliability of the Baltimore offense that, that, that that's making me feel this way. That like because they, they've they've allowed a couple of these games allowed other teams to score on them and then them have to reassert themselves physically and get back into a game. I'm not sure if they give, say, a 10-point lead to the Mazungus that they're going to be able to then stop them and regain that ground because I can imagine it being both of them scoring relatively easily given how shocking like the backfield in Washington is and also how poorly the Baltimore defense I think have been playing just on balance I think I'm siding with uh, with Washington also I'm, I'm I'm behind on picks so I need a couple of wins <laughs> to swing my way yeah it's interesting you say that because uh, I don't know if you watched Washington last week but they went up two touchdowns and let Cleveland back into the game so I don't know I think if they go up early I think Baltimore can uh, can probably claw it back better than Cleveland can to me like let me tell the listeners a story in college there was a, a game uh, we used to play called Danger Can. And uh, the uh, aim of, well, I don't even know what the aim of the game was. You had a can of beer. It was to break a can of beer in yeah, your face. I, I more meant like, <laughs> I, I understand that part of the game. I more meant like, why, why would you do this? We played a lot. Uh, yeah, you would shake a can of beer up, do a little chant, and then headbutt it. And you kept passing it around doing the same until somebody eventually headbutted the can so hard it broke. Then you downed the can. <laughs> yeah, then you downed the can. Now, we once played it with a can of, of really cheap beer from either Lidl or Aldi, one of the discount German supermarkets, and we could not break the can. We couldn't. We were there for ages, battering away at it, giving ourselves concussions. In the end, it had to be thrown on the floor and stamped on. Kirk Cousins is a can crusher. That's what he does. He crushes tomato cans. He looks good against bad teams, and anything that offers a modicum of resistance, he crumples against and he fails. Baltimore are that really cheap can of German lager that would not buckle no matter how hard you hit it. Baltimore are tough enough to do this. Washington are going to blink first. Cousins is going to struggle when that defense puts up resistance. No, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, sure, we'll see how it goes anyway. Next game up is Atlanta at Denver. Uh, this is my pick of the week because uh, I, I think this is going to be a fantastic game. Uh, we've got Denver obviously riding high at the moment. Their defense looked good. They're going to be starting their rookie quarterback because they're the guys injured. But he looked excellent whenever he came into the game last week. Atlanta have been incredible on offense but somewhat weak on defense. This is going to be really interesting because this is going to be one of Denver's first tests against a really explosive offense to see how much this defense can carry the team. Although I do think the X factor is this rookie has a better arm, so can he add some more dimensions to their offense? Uh, for Atlanta, this is 
probably the best defence they're going to have played because we thought it was going to be the Panthers and the Panthers didn't put up as much resistance at all as we thought. This will be able to see whether or not that offence can keep them in games when their defence is lacking. There's lots of one-on-one matchups in this that are going to be good, but just overall, this is this is the narratives of these two teams coming to a head nice and early in the season. I was tempted to give the edge to Denver because they're at home and because they are an incredible defense and because I do think that their offense has the potential to break out. We've seen them play quite well as an offense. Like We don't know with this new quarterback, but he looked to be able to, to, to do a lot of stuff. I've sided with Atlanta just because I think they're on a roll. They're not going to get like 300 yards out of a receiver in this game, let's be honest. We've seen them do through the air. We've seen them do it on the ground. We've seen them do it multiple ways. And I'm really interested to see when that level of that level of variety is available to them. Also, how the Denver defense will react to not just a single-faceted strong offense, but a multi-faceted strong offense. I do kind of have that thing eternally of the Falcons are going to fold at some point given, like, what was it, last year they went up five or six games and then just lost pretty much everything from that point onwards. But I just think this is going to be a real interesting watch, and I have a f- sneaky feeling this is going to be uh, up in the ring of honour next week. I don't agree. I think this will basically be equivalent to putting a Falcon, tying a Falcon to the ground, and then having a Bronco staff all over it. Uh, that's basically how messy it's going to be when this Denver defence completely obliterates Matt Ryan's time to make any decision. And he returns to the type of quarterback that we know he can be. It's very inconsistent and very liable to throw it up and hope for the best. I think Denver's defense, at the moment, with exception perhaps of Minnesota, is the best in the NFL. And the Atlanta offense, while it is explosive, is a little bit of a flat track bully and will be shown up here. Like, I don't like it. I'm a bit sad because I've been riding the Matt Ryan train to, like, fantasy relevance. But I think this is going to be the game where Denver put a hard stop on the Atlanta narrative and Atlanta will be shown to be what they are, which is a marginal playoff team, not a contender. So you don't even think this is going to be close then, no? No, I think Denver will crush them, and I think Paxton Lynch will have plenty of time to make good throws against what is an anemic pass rush from Atlanta. Yeah, I'm, I'm more on Phil's side with this. I think it's a kind of an interesting one, because what it's, it's tricky enough to call. I'm not as confident as Ronan. And I think it's one of those games where you're either going to see Atlanta's offense just completely hit its stride and then run away with it, or... Denver just crush Atlanta. It's a hard one to call, but it's not going to be a close game, if that makes sense. The reason I give the edge to Denver is that Atlanta haven't really had to play a tough defense yet. We saw Carolina's defense fall to pieces against them. They've been in four shootouts, and they've lost one of them to Tampa Bay. So this is a team that still has um, frailties. We have seen them run a more diverse offense this year, which is good. We've seen evolution in Kyle Shanahan's play calling, which is good. We've seen the defense look bad again. This is a, a Denver team that has... As Ronan says, one of the top two defences in the in the league. That's not in dispute. We've seen them handle explosive offences this season. Also seen them have a really well-run and well-schemed offence that plays within its limitations, knows what to look for, plays patiently, wears teams down, and then goes for the big threat. It's an intelligently run team, whereas Atlanta are a bit of a wild ride who are just trying to just basically overwhelm teams through volume and through, doesn't matter how many points you score, we're just going to try and score a couple more than you. And that's fine. That doesn't work against Denver. I think that Denver are going to be able to out-scheme Atlanta, stymie them, make them frustrated on offense, control the time possession, and just basically grind them down as the game goes on. Yeah, no, like it, it totally could. I just think, like regardless of the outcome, I think it's going to be a real interesting game to watch. Next game, Cincinnati at Dallas. Uh, we've all taken Cincinnati across the board. Fits. You know, I think like the fact that we're all in agreement is a little bit surprising because Dallas have looked good, but I think we're all 
kind of expecting that Cincinnati, they're a talent-rich team on both sides of the ball. They've had a little bit of bad luck this season, but they should be able to beat a Dallas team, which I, I'm assuming everyone here agrees is probably a little bit overrated, particularly on that defense. I think this might be the game where we see Cincinnati break out of their shell and have a good offensive showing, and that should be enough to get them over the hump. Yeah, San Diego and Oakland. I was tempted to take this as my uh, as as my pick of the week because I thought this was a great looking game. It's a very important game. We've all taken Oakland in it, so like I don't I didn't think there was that much controversy. I think Oakland's offensive looked good. Their defensive looked very poor. Uh, San Diego's offense has looked okay in stretches, but they're missing players. They're losing players all over that team. Their morale is rock bottom the only thing that might say them is given it's a divisional game they tend to play up to those a little bit more but I just think the Oakland team is too talented on offense to not win the shootout and we've seen what happens at the tail end of games with San Diego and we've also seen what happens with Oakland at the tail end of games when they tend to actually show a bit of backbone which was a surprise it's what I thought they'd be missing this year I thought younger team they won't have the resilience in them for, for that type of thing but we've seen them lead fourth quarter comebacks and stuff I, I, I just think in the dying moments of this game, Oakland are going to show themselves to be a tougher contender than San Diego. Yeah, Buffalo at LA. We've got a disagreement on this one. Uh, I've taken LA. Harry's taken 7-8 and 1 bullshit, so it's changed somewhat from the last time. And Fitz has taken Buffalo. Uh, who's your call in this one, Harry? Well, it's 7-8 and 1 bullshit. That so, one's coming from somewhere. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. So you're calling a tie. I'm calling a tie. I call one tie every season. This is my designated tie for this season. Fair enough. Yeah. Fitz, why are you going Buffalo? Yeah, like, My, my stats on this is basically, I, I, while they've had two good games, I don't have that much trust in Buffalo overall. I think they have problems, and I think you know Rex Ryan, he's a defensive-minded coach, that's fine. LA have a very good defense. I think it's going to be a very defense-heavy game, but LA's offense has started to roll a little bit more of late. Maybe that keeps going. They're at home, and I don't like either of these teams, but I kind of agree with your analysis earlier, Ronan, about the... They will play not great, but they'll drag people down to their level and they've got the physicality and the roster to, to, to maybe beat them down there at that point. Uh, yeah. See, my logic here isn't so much logic. Both of these teams are incapable of beating bad teams, but will beat good teams. But both of these teams are bad teams. So you know that all unstoppable force meets immovable object thing? Mm. This is immovable object meets immovable object. Okay. Nothing's going to happen in this game. Erosion um, will happen. Erosion, exactly. <laughs> Slow erosion. Acid rain will gently fall and wash away the uh, outer layer of the limestone slabs. Genuinely, for me, this, these teams are so random. This game is essentially impossible to call. Like you can you can talk about all the advantages they have, but these are advantages and disadvantages. These teams that change on these teams week by week. One part of it looks amazing, then sucks the next week, then looks amazing again, then a different part steps up and then falls off. And it doesn't make like these two teams are just really really hard to predict. 
So I think a tie would just be suitably hilarious uh, for where both these teams are. So that's my call. Uh, also because I'm winning the picks by miles, I need to give you guys a chance. <laughs> uh, next game, uh, Giants travel down to Green Bay. Uh, we're actually, we've, we've got Universal on this one. Uh, we've all gone Green Bay in this game. So, uh, Harry, why Green Bay? Uh, Packers coming off, a, coming off a bye. Looked pretty good the week before on offense anyway. Um, it's in Green Bay. The Giants, they are all over the place at the moment, to be honest with you. They're wobbling. It's looking like they've slowed down from what was a really promising start to the season and sort of just regressed a bit. Teams are figuring out ways to deal with Odell Beckham. And beyond that, Eli doesn't look particularly comfortable. So I would just say that Rodgers is going to be coming you know, rested. Jordy Nelson's had another week to recover. Um, I, I just think Green Bay at home you can't really not take them in this matchup yeah final game this is Fitz's pick of the week really uh, Tampa Bay Carolina we've taken Carolina across the board Fitz why Why is this your pick of the week well I think this is a really interesting game like the NFC side I think Atlanta have a two game lead right now but they have two incredibly hard games coming up against Denver and Seattle so there's a real chance that if either Tampa Bay or Carolina can pull out two wins they could end up being tied at the top of the NFC South like we've all chosen Carolina but I think that's more like that's as much based on history as anything else what we have here is two teams that we expected to be much better than they are right now at the beginning of the season in Carolina obviously you're talking about the loser of the Super Bowl a team that went 15-1 but which has struggled to find struggled to find its identity this year This particularly on the defense perhaps more surprising like we all expected that there would be growing pains in the secondary the bigger issue is that they've had struggles actually getting to the quarterback, which is what they were so great at doing, especially towards the end of last year. Like, they had a slow start to last year, but they still managed to get wins. The question is now, what will they do now that they're not getting those close wins at the beginning of the season and they can't just rely on basically riding that wave? In Tampa Bay, you have a young quarterback in Jameis Winston who is expected to take the next step up and who showed a lot of promise in, uh, in the game against Atlanta and uh, in the first game. But now what we're seeing is that this team seems to be falling apart at the seams. It lost Doug Martin, and now there's kind of a question about the identity of this team. Can Jameis Winston carry this team on his back? Do you have two teams struggling here who have the potential by the end of the season to actually be genuine contenders in the NFC, in my opinion? Carolina probably more so than Tampa Bay, but I think Tampa Bay have the kind of pieces if Doug Martin comes back down the home stretch to be a real contender in, in the NFC South and in the NFC as a whole. This is a pivotal game for this part of the season. For so early in the season for this game, this game will have like massive ramifications not only within the division but within the NFC. I think it's going to be fascinating to see which one of these teams will rise to the challenge, rise beyond their issues with injuries, etc. And I hope that Cam Newton will be fit to play this, that you can see which, which of these teams truly has the backbone. Yeah, no, of course. Like, I think it, I think it's a more interesting game if Cam's in. I think it's a significantly less interesting game if he's not. Um, we might all want to swap our picks. <laughs> Who's starting for the Panthers? Anderson. Yes, Derek the Buckfucker Anderson is starting. If there's one game you want Cam Newton to be out for and Derek Anderson to be in for, it's against the Bucks. He's the Buckfucker. He destroys <laughs> the Bucks. What he does, he fucks Bucks. Like that's the that, that's that's why this is this is stone cold lock. Stone Cold Lock. Derek Anderson's going to throw five touchdowns. Watch. Can I add as an aside, I'm real pissed off that the uh, the Around the League podcast started doing Locks of the Week this year because that was something we were planning to do. And then we had to just, just, like, just ditch it because they were doing it. Bastards. Yeah. 
Because you know we're we're uh, definitely in competition with the around the league podcast. Yeah, I know, I know. They're, they're a distant second. <laughs> but yeah, no, should be should be good crack. Um, yeah. So any other crack this weekend or this week, boys? Uh, nothing major planned. Uh, one thing I would like to mention is that there's a really cool article on the NFL.com by Mark Sessler about these letters that he got from Bill Belichick. Oh yes. I saw that. It's a really, it's like, it's really cool. It's kind of like, you know, I think we're all getting a little bit beyond that kind of listless college age, maybe. But I think there's a lot of things there that speak to kind of NFL fandom. But yeah, so like, nothing really planned. But, you know, check that out if you can. Oh, very good. Yeah, I've got not a huge amount planned. Got uh, my mate Connor is over from the States, who I haven't seen in about six years, seven years at this point, I'd say. So looking forward to, to catching up with him. So that'll be fun. Uh and his, his, his now wife, who I have not met yet, so Ooh, that'll be, that'll be interesting. And then uh, I've got tickets to the Leinster-Munster game on Saturday. So uh, the only the only proper rugby game I've ever gone to see, and I use proper in inverted commas here, was uh, I saw the Connacht A's, which are the second string team of the Connacht team, taking on the German national team uh, about three years ago, where Connacht won by 50-something points. So this will be my first proper rugby game uh, in person. So that'll be quite fun to see. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, so I think my dad's kind of come down. I'm going to take him down to the game, so that should be a good crack. And um, what about yourself, Harry? Um, do you know, I'm not sure what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have something on, but I can't think of what it is at the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> obviously watching the football on Sunday, but uh, yeah. 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 I'm sure there's something. Should be a good crack. If ever I'm meant to have plans on uh, this weekend is listening to this, I'm really sorry. <laughs> You're just incredibly <laughs> forgettable. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, that'll be, that'll be good. But yeah, so I suppose uh, that'll do it for most. Like I said, uh, drop us your questions, comments, and all that kind of shite on Facebook, Twitter, uh Email, Pinterest, uh, uh, Eventbrite, uh, <laughs> Google.com, and Yahoo Italy. Uh, also on the group Bebo Stunners 2K16 Fab. Do we have anything else that we actually have online? I don't think so. I think that's. I think that's everything. Uh, I think that's, <laughs> including the including the fictional ones. That's everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's great. So that's bye from myself. Bye from Harry. Bye. Bye from Ronan. And we'll all catch you next week on All Four Quarters Podcast.